Thank you, Michael. Um, that's the beauty of being a part of the body of Christ is that when somebody does something that amazing, we get to partake in that and we get to offer that up to the Lord as our offering. And uh, I don't think Michael used any music in front of him. That was just in his head. It's amazing. Thank you. Um, a little bit of a detour this morning. We're going to look at Hebrews 11, but the passage that I had kind of prepared this week, I'm kind of making a little turn. I'm hoping the Lord is leading me in this, and this isn't the flesh. Uh, why don't I pray for us, and we'll, we'll jump into this. Father, your word is truth, and it's what we need. And so we ask that you'd sanctify us in the truth, this word that is living and active, would it judge the thoughts and attitudes of our heart and lead us to Christ? We ask that you'd open our eyes now. Speak to us. May your servants be listening. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Some of you have probably heard of this new wonder drug that's called Narcan. Or Narcan and um, it's this, there's a huge heroin epidemic that's uh, nationwide and uh, opioid epidemic, and this is kind of the wonder drug that reverses uh, the symptoms. And I saw on CNN and NPR both picked up the story uh, a while back where they interviewed, uh, there's a librarian, they didn't, I don't think the article said which city she was from, but in three of the big cities um, in the US, in Philadelphia, Denver, and San Francisco, they're training libra li librarians how to use this drug. And um, so here, you know, this lady who's, you know, good at helping you find books and, you know, she can also run outside and find the guy in the bushes who's dying from heroin overdose and before the ambulance gets there, she's able, she, she's saved six people since April. The story came out in June. She'd already saved six people. So this wonderful drug called Narcan, uh, basically uh, it's either done through spray or by shot and it reverses, it basically kicks the opiate, the heroin, the codeine, the morphine, away from the opiate receptors in the brain. And so, you know, your brain's telling, you know, as you're on this drug to slow down your breathing and often it'll kill you. Well, this shot is a boost that will reawaken and kick away the, I'm not a doctor, you can, where's Pat? You can ask Pat afterwards how this works. But um, anyway, if you're wondering where I'm going with this in the book of Hebrews is that as I was reading Hebrews a couple years ago, and I'm just reading it through in one setting, and I encourage you to do that sometime. If you've never done it, just read through the whole book. I was amazed at seeing how the book of Hebrews, as it describes sin, it describes it like a drug, like an opiate. It's scary. The Bible, Hebrews describes sin as being deceitful, so we don't even see the, the problem we're in. Then it describes it as hardening us. So sin is actually changing who we are. And then it, it describes, um, sin describes the people of God as growing dull. And now they're slow to listen because they've become sluggish and they're dull. And then they're described as drifting away. I mean, there's some scary terms in, 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 in the book and so, we need this Narcan spiritual to kind of give us a shot. And there's some different places along the book of Hebrews that give you this, this shock that will awaken us to see, wow, 
Hebrews 11 comes on the heels of Hebrews 10, where this strong warning is given that is applied to awaken the church that's starting to drift away, that's becoming sluggish, that's growing dull, that's getting sleepy and deceitful and hardened by sin. And some are thinking of, of chucking the faith. Some are flirting with sin and some are just downright in this comfy lifestyle with sin. And for all of us, we're all kind of tempted as to maybe, you know, maybe we could just check out for a while and maybe we could just all, you know, binge on Netflix and just kind of chill out for a while. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, appealing things that are out there that you could just veg for hours and days and years and lifetimes. And the author of Hebrews is applying this spiritual shot. At the end of Hebrews 10, at 26, he gives this awakening verses. It says, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall, the former days when after you were enlightened, you do endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you, you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance. So when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls." So the question becomes, once awakened by this warning, and we need these warnings, what is faith? Because he's saying, we're, we're these people of faith and we, don't, and we preserve our souls, and we need this endurance, what is faith? Well, the whole chapter 11 is now gonna give us a kaleidoscope. It's a myriad of different perspectives of, of okay, here's like the science lab project and examples of faith on display. This is what the word of God, when it takes root in the heart of someone, what is gonna happen when the word of God takes root in the heart of a believer? Well, here's what happens. The first thing is faith understands that God is the creator of the universe. That's the first little kaleidoscope we're given. By faith, we understand the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So we recognize that there was something before this world ever was, and it was God, and he created this world. So certainly there's something beyond this world because there was something before this world ever was. And by faith, we understand that he spoke the creation into existence. And then faith responds by beginning to worship. Faith begins to worship and doesn't offer to God that which cost him nothing, as David said when he brought his 
sacrifice in 1 Samuel to purchase the land. Faith begins to worship, doesn't offer to God that which cost him nothing. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his faith, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. He's still speaking. By faith, we no longer live to please ourselves and our insatiable fleshly desires, but by faith, we begin to please God. And we begin to walk with God. That's the next little kaleidoscope in Hebrews. So what we're doing this morning, I'm just taking you through Hebrews 11. I'm giving you the helicopter ride over Hebrews 11 so you would see what does faith look like? Because I want to ask you, what does faith look like in your life? I want to ask you to, to ask God, Lord, what do you want me to do by faith? It might be very ordinary or it might be radical. But what do you want me to do by faith that I need to be trusting you to do? Because I'm looking at these people of God and this is what it looked like and they're all doing different things but faith expresses itself in love. Faith is not a work but it always leads to work, right? It will lead to this fruit of love. And so we should be asking God, Lord, what are the good works you have for me? to do and, and then of course as we're reading his word we have to just be obedient to the things he's just like pounding us over the head with a lot of times it's so unbelievably obvious like what we should be doing and if you really need to know just ask your spouse and it'll be immediately obvious <laughs> all right so faith begins to please, we, we, we no longer begin to live for ourselves, but we begin to please God and to walk with God. By faith, Enoch was taken up so he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was uh, taken, he was commended as having pleased God. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who seek him. And the next step about faith is faith regards warnings. And I just gave you a warning as we started this service. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. And by this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes through faith. True faith takes heed to the warnings that are in the Bible. Faith obeys God. That's what we're looking at next. Even without the blueprints, even without the GPS coordinates, even when we don't know where we're going. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was received as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. You know, I was just reading this week the life of Abraham. And there's a couple points in his life where he just instantly obeys. I mean, he is called out. He's an idolater. He's, in the, he's with his family about 150 miles from Babylon. And they were pagan worshipers. And God just called them out to leave everything that he not, had known and to follow him. And so you're packing up. Okay, where are we going? Just trust me. I'll show you. <laughs> And he went out not knowing where he was going. I mean, that's, that's often like the most difficult thing in the world, isn't it? Like, what's the plan? 
Some of you probably feel like that on the Honduras short-term trip, you know. What, what is the plan? Well, it's going to change when you get there some. I mean, welcome to the, the second and third world. I mean, it, things are going to change some, uh, you know, and they're probably going to change midweek. I mean, that typically is what happens. Um, but you just follow him, and you will be used. It's going to be a great week. By faith, he went to live in a land of promises in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise, for he was looking forward to the city with that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself conceived power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. So when you think about the life of Abraham, I mean, the two, there's several things that jump out, but you know, he's given him this land of promise and he goes and dwells there and he's there and all he is is a tent dweller. I mean, he is a nomad and he's picking up tent pegs and picking up tent pegs and picking up tent pegs. And God has promised, this land is gonna be your land. It's, it is, it is, this is it. Yet the only piece of property that he ever owns is what? Is the burial plot for his wife. I mean, how ironic is that? That's the only little sliver of property that he ever owned. And his name is Big Daddy, so he's going around introducing himself. Hey, my name's Abraham. Oh, Abram, hey, big father. How many, father, how many children do you have, Big Daddy? Well, actually, I don't have any. So every time he says his name, he's being laughed at. Oh, you've got this promise that this is all going to be yours, huh? This whole land's going to be yours, and you're the big daddy, and all the spiritual wealth is going to be yours someday, huh? Yeah, right on. It just seemed crazy. Of course, he would have kept that to himself, but he would have to share his name. But from the eyes of the world looking at it, it looks like complete foolishness. Yet Abraham believed. He believed God because God had promised. God said, look up in the heavens. I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the heavens and as the sand on the seashore. And the Bible says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He took God at his word. And so the next thing is faith trusts God's promises even when the promise goes beyond our ability. God often calls us to things that are way beyond us. By faith, Sarah received power to conceive, even when she was past the age. She's long past menopause, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, as many as innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. You realize, guys, when you follow this trail of promise in Galatians 3 and Romans 4, this is us now. We are the spiritual descendants. We are the spiritual offspring of Abraham. And all those promises are now ours. We're part of that sand on the seashore. We're part of the stars in the heavens of all the people that he's bringing, bringing in descendants from Abraham. The next aspect of faith is that faith desires a better country than this one. You see, faith looks, looks for and longs for heaven. The writer of Hebrews just says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised. So Abraham died, Isaac, Jacob, even Joseph. I mean, Joseph is saying, get my bones and take my bones to the promised land. Because he didn't have the promise yet. So, I mean, we're talking generations and generations. They're still waiting for this promise. 
These all died in faith, not receiving the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. And if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. We're going to talk more about that next week. That's really the essence of faith, is it's forward-looking, and it sees the realities that are before us as precious and beautiful and worth living our life based on the future, and that being the future. And so... Ultimately, when it says they were seeking a homeland and they were greeting these promises from afar, Abraham knew that ultimately this promised land, that there was more to this promised land than just a piece of land. That ultimately that promised land is pointing towards the new heavens and new earth. Faith believes God's promises even when the cost couldn't be more costly. By faith, Abraham when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he had received the promises, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So when I was saying, I was reading the life of Abraham, there's a couple points along the way in his life where God tells him to do something, and he just does it. So he calls him and he says, Abraham, take your son, your only son whom you love, and go and offer him up, you know, sacrifice him to me. And Abraham packs his stuff and says, okay, we're going to go and worship. And he tells his servant, we're going to go and worship, and then we'll come back. So he's, he's, he's already assuming that he's coming back. He's thinking, well, God's going to raise him from the dead, but I'm going to have to take him out. God has told me to offer him up. But I'm trusting since God's made this promise about, you know, through all the families of the earth are going to be blessed from my offspring, and here's the offspring, and now he's telling me to offer him up. Well, God's going to do something, and so we'll be back. We're going to go worship, but God's told me to do this, and so I'm going to do it. And he's going to take and offer up his son by faith. And God stayed his hand. You remember there was a lamb in the thicket, and that became the sacrifice instead. And ultimately, Jesus was the lamb in the thicket. By faith, he believed God's promises even when the cost couldn't be more costly. Faith, next one, faith worshipfully passes on spiritual blessings to our children and grandchildren. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. And so faith finishes well. Faith leaves a legacy. Faith is thinking about children and grandchildren and passing on blessings. And ultimately, those blessings were God's promises that God had promised. The next point. Faith wants to be in the promised land and makes provisions for that to happen. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. You see, he died in Egypt, and the promise hadn't been fulfilled. So he says, when God brings you out, you get my bones, and you take them into the promised land. 
You see, the point is, we, we think, when you're thinking about Abraham, Isaac, and, and, and here they're, they're living, I mean, Abraham is just this nomad, he's just this tent dweller, and, and, and he says he's looking forward to the city because he has no foundation. I mean, all he's got are tent pegs, and he just keeps pulling them up. He has no home. He has no plot of land. He's got no real estate. He's, he's just, you know, what precinct does he belong to? I mean, he just is, a, is this nomad dweller, and yet God has promised him, this is your land. And he says the same to us. He says, don't even fret about evil men and those who do evil, for the meek are gonna inherit the earth. This is, this is all yours. You're, you're gonna inherit it. And you're walking around and, you have, you know, and you're looking at the people that have everything and you've got nothing in comparison. And, and, you're, and it's like, really? We're just like Abraham because we're strangers and we're exiles. We know that the, the best is yet to come. We are gonna inherit the earth. It's gonna, it's gonna go through a big fire first. And then it's going to be a renewal. But it's going to happen. And so faith wants to be in the promised land and makes provisions for that to happen. Next one. Faith sees children as precious and beautiful and is willing to take big risks to keep them around, not fearing men or kings or governments. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So here they had to hide their child, but then he got to a point where they had to make a little boat for him, if you remember, a little ark, and they floated him down the ark, and then he was rescued. But by faith, they were, not, they were gonna protect that life as best they could. We must do the same. Faith chooses suffering with the people of God over fleeting pleasures of sin and treasures of this world. How about you? Think about what Moses did here. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, think of this, the prince of Egypt, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Why? For he was looking to the reward. It was future. He desired a better country, a heavenly one. He knew he had better possessions and abiding ones in heaven, and so he was willing to relinquish what he had. I was reading a story this week where Tim Keller was talking about this CEO of a big company. He didn't name the company because these things don't go public, but basically this company was going to sell their company, and before they sold it, the people came to him on the board and wanted him to cook the books as a CEO because he had an opportunity to make lots of money, and everybody else around him could make lots of money. If they would just tweak some numbers, they would all get rich in this big transaction as they sell the company. But the CEO was a Christian, and he wouldn't do it. So what do you think happened to him? The board fired him, and it was the only, it was, he had the chance to make some seven-digit numbers and came out with nothing, and also his name was going to be tarnished in the process, but what he told Tim Keller was that he'd never felt more free than the making the right decision, that he stood by 
what was the right thing to do. Are you willing to do that? I mean, Moses, he, he chucked a lot. Think about that. He had opportunity and power and influence and all of the world. I mean, it was his oyster. And he took it like the pearl and he chucked it right into the ocean. And he said, I'm going to identify with these people of God because they're the ones that are going to inherit the earth. They have everything. They're the ones that, that, that have it. I want to be, I'll suffer with them. You see, the world now, everything now is buy it now, buy it now, buy it now. Interest-free for a whole year. We got this thing over here at Home Depot. Just buy it now where you can put it on credit for a year. You don't even have to start paying on it. Everything now is you got it now. You can have it now. You can have it all. And pay later. And what Hebrews 11 is just the total opposite. It's saying suffer now, suffer now, suffer now. Your rewards will be later. That is just completely the opposite of the world's message, which is for everything for you to have it now. No. And so Moses identified with the people of God. He gave it up because he was looking to the reward. And he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Amazing. Next one, by faith, like Abraham, Moses left behind the idols of his present country. By faith, he left Egypt. He also went on a sojourn, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who's invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch him. God was going to use Moses to set his people free. And so Moses begins to obey and to believe and to trust. Next, faith believes in God's power to do miracles. Do you believe God can still do miracles? He believed in God's promises to perform. He believed in God's miraculous promises. Sometimes God will promise to do miracles. And so faith is just believing what God has said he's going to do. Like when God says, he, he says the walls of Jericho are going to come tumbling in, it sounds insane that you just blow your thing, just march around this thing six, six days on the seventh day, you're going to walk around seven times, 13 times total, and uh, the last time you're going to all blow your instruments and the walls are going to come down. I mean, how's that sound for a plan? So faith believes God's power to do miracles, but sometimes as a result, faith compels us to do what humanly seems to be very, very foolish. And so, but they, they trusted, and God used them, and they were victorious. Next kaleidoscope of faith, Rahab. Faith recognizes God's victorious people and sides with them, even if it's risky. By faith, Rahab the, the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Isn't this interesting about faith? There's an element about faith that recognizes, wait a minute, God's hand is with these people and I want to identify with them. Okay, even, even with Scott's testimony that he gave about his dad, his dad is watching a comedian who's mocking God and making fun of God and that he's sovereign over every hair of your head. Yeah, right. And that pricked him to say, wait, no, that, that, that's true. 
I'm with God's people. I'm not, I'm not laughing at that. That's not funny. And he, you know, sometimes there's things that are clear where you make a deciding line that I'm not with that. Martin Lloyd-Jones, I was just reading about his testimony, and I've shared part of it before, where he was, you know, he was so influential, and he had the, the world was going to be his oyster, and he was the most prominent facility to be this great medical doctor, great facilities, very influential, prominent. And one of this prominent guy that was training him, his wife died. And this guy had everything, money, everything, influence. And he came into where Lloyd-Jones was and he asked if he could just sit at his fire, you know, fireplace. And he said the guy just sat there for two hours and didn't say a word. And what Lloyd-Jones realized is that all the world has to offer. Here's this great influential guy and he's just sitting in front of a fire for two hours not saying a world because his world has crashed because his wife has died. And he realized all that the world has to give me is nothing. Like that was the beginning of his call to ministry to realize how am I going to spend my life? And he wanted to preach the word so he could have something to say to someone who's just staring at the fire for two hours that has the world, has everything in the world to offer, but nothing but staring into a fireplace. Rahab got it. She recognized, she said, our hearts melted when we heard about you. She hears about God's people and the power and and parting the Red Sea and then coming across the Jordan River and here they come again and God is doing miracles and then the the walls crash and, you know, come down to Jericho and she is spared because she knew that God was doing miracles through them and she aligned with them and made risky steps to align with them, even sending her own people the wrong direction. Faith, where are you this morning with that? By faith through, through, through prayer, God's people are able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can imagine or think. The writer of Hebrews says, what more shall I say? For time will fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received their, back their dead by, re, by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, so they may rise again to a better life. By faith, God's people through prayer, are able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we can imagine or think. Sometimes God just greatly surprises us, way beyond our expectations. By faith, we say like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from this burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of your your hand, O king. But if not, but if not, Be it known to you, O king, that we'll not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. Where's that, Joel Osteen? Where's that in your theology? All I hear is the first part, all the wonderful victory. It's all going to be yours. It's your best life now. That wasn't so for Isaiah. He was sawn in two, killed with the sword. They went about in skins and sheep sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, 
of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens, dens and caves of the earth. They were living by faith. They knew the best life was the one to come. And by faith, they did what was right. By faith, those who've gone before us wait for the fullness of God's elect to come in before we all enter as the bridal party to be introduced together in glory. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God has provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. That's a tough passage. My take on that is in the intermediate state to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. But we are not fully, these, these ones who've gone before us, you know, Evie's in glory right now, but she doesn't have a glorified body yet. But she will. But we're all gonna get that together. And so I kind of see it as when you, when you go to a, these nice weddings and you come in and often there's a, here's the first area where you're, you're, you gather and you, you get some drinks, you get some refreshments. But the main course is in the next room, but we're not gonna take you into that room until the bridal party gets here. And we're still waiting for the bride and the groom and the, and the party to show. But when they show, then we'll all go into the room and we'll all be introduced together because we're all gonna be made perfect. Then we get the glorified body. You see, that's the best is yet to come. And so we live by faith, knowing that God rewards those who believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And so we trust him by faith. Lord, what do you, how can I honor you with my life? I wanna be rewarded in that day. Not, I wanna give it all back to you, but I wanna make much of you with my time and talents and my little life and my little skills and abilities, your kingdom. And those who did that, God used them greatly. And so for us, we have to decide which world we want to live for. Do I want to live for this city, this life? And, or do I want to live in this life and this city, but I'm living here as a stranger and an exile, knowing that this is not my ultimate home. That's my home. And that's where I'm going to be forever. I hope that's your, your prayer and your trajectory. Because Hebrews 13, 14 simply says, for here we have no lasting city but we seek the city that is to come. Let's pray. Maranatha, Lord God, come quickly. And may we long for that day more and more. And may we be ready. And may we make much of you as we wait. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.